You are now tuned in to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Superlative, a podcast about watches, the people behind them, and the worlds that inspire them. Spending time with the Blog to Watch community and the stories we discover. Let's get started. Hey everyone, Ariel Adams here with the Superlative Podcast. I am joined by a very special guest, Mr. John Biggs. John and I got started podcasting. John was, and still is in a lot of ways, a mentor figure to me. And we got started podcasting together on a show that we called Our Time, which was probably the internet's first podcast on watches. John, hello. Howdy, howdy. So what year was that? When we Was it 2009 or 10? Like When was it then we started um, Our Time? I think it was even earlier. I thought it was like 2007 or something crazy. Well, so a blog to watch started in 2007. Okay, you, so it was a year after. So it was 2008. It was definitely yeah, a year after because okay. you were just starting out. And then I think you changed the name or something like that. Uh, it was used to be a blog to read. And I was like, that's yes. weird. And then you changed it to blog to watch. And then and less that's, weird. Yes, yeah, slightly less weird. Slightly less weird. And at the time... Uh, that we got started. The, the reason that you and I even started to know each other is because you had, you had a website that predated mine. It was called Wristwatch Review. Yep. And you know, it's I don't know. Maybe we can do a show at some point about like what watch media and watch culture was like. You know, in the in the in the early two thousands and stuff like that, because it's very very different today. Like radically different, really radically different. But you had been writing about watches and you are a technology writer. That's where most people know you. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But you 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 said, oh, I blog about these, you know, gadgets and and you know startups and all these business things related to the tech world. Watches are sort of also a, a form of tech, just not state of the art tech. Mm-hmm. And you had wristwatch review that, you know, seeing that there was a few websites out there obviously galvanized me to be able to do it. Um, you know, from the websites that existed at the time, there's sort of very few remaining, and and even the wristwatch review is around. As far as I know, you don't really still write there, or am I wrong? I write when I can. I mean, right now I'm editor-in-chief at Gizmodo, so I don't have a lot of time to do that stuff. Uh, but I mean, look, it was always my it was always my pet project. I always wanted to. I always loved the idea of watches. I always loved the concept. Uh, I didn't like the industry that well, which was for better or worse. And, uh, so I got kind of in this, I got kind of in this mode where you and you and Hodinkee and those guys kind of got, got deep into the, into the market or into the, uh, into the environment. I stayed away from it. Yeah, you were just like a consumer, you know, you really yeah. had a consumer focus. But, and, you know, for us to, we, we didn't have a choice. We had to get in, involved with the industry mainly for access at first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And you had, you had to be, you had to be close. You had to go on these trips and stuff. And that's fine. I mean, it's a. Uh, it was, but it was the same way with you and the technology companies, right? At some point, probably early on in your in your writing career, because, yeah, way you know, early. We were flying around it like Nokia was flying us around, and yeah, uh, exactly. And we got in trouble for that. It was a it was a bad deal. Uh, we got in trouble for that, and we stopped. And I I kept on telling you you can't do it anymore. And I I feel like I feel like that's changed. Uh, drastically in the in the watch world right now. I don't think you guys do that much, right? Well, that's really related to obviously the pandemic and money. Um, that's this is a really important topic. I don't think a lot of our our audience will immediately understand based upon our vague illusions. But as journalists, you know, John is a journalist. I've always seen myself more as an editorialist, but you are very much in the traditional sense a journalist. And there's rules 
that say you can only accept certain things so that your your stories aren't like by default biased. Mm-hmm. And the problem is that if a company invites one or more journalists out on a trip, they fly them, they board them, they entertain them, they feed them, all to announce something new. Sometimes they just give products away or other things like that. There's never like money given, or at least not overtly, but there was a sense that is this, you know, are these stories authentic viewpoints if the brands are essentially, you know, buying goodwill? And that, that mm-hmm. is, that's the problem, right? Yeah, that's, I mean, that is the biggest problem. And it's really frustrating for me. Okay, so Our Time was a podcast that went on for, I don't know, at least 150, 200 episodes. And, you know, I'll sort of skip to the end. You know, John and I just got really busy. People always ask, like, well, why did you stop doing it? There was no really reason. It was just that at some point there wasn't enough of a, a return on investment because we've been doing all these shows for free and it was fun. We'd done a lot of them and we had good listenership and good feedback. But it was sort of amazing how at the time the ability to monetize something like that was you know, almost unavailable. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, like you you sort of recap what the incentive to do a popular podcast was, you know, just just five or six years ago. Well, I mean, look, the 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 goal of a podcast was just for was to to chat. It was hard to get podcasts. Podcasts weren't that easy to find. They weren't that easy to use. They weren't as popular as they are now. So for us to do a watch podcast just talking about watches was pretty wild and wacky. At the time, I'm fairly sure, and it's. I think it works okay now in terms of a model. But uh, my goal was just so we could chat. Ultimately, yeah, and it was fun. And these yeah. days, apparently, I don't even know this, but there's like a bazillion watch chat channels, and most of them are apparently not very good because the people aren't very fun or don't know very much or they have some type of agenda. But like, does it surprise you now that we honestly birthed a movement that turned into? such a diverse landscape, even though there's actually very little commercial value to it still? I think it's, I think it, it doesn't surprise me, but it's also, I just don't understand the the benefit of it. I don't understand why there needs to be 50 watch YouTube, YouTube channels and 50 watch podcasts. I don't know how many watch podcasts there are actually. There's a lot. And, and, and the short answer is there doesn't need to be. But one of the things that I think you and I have learned early on in being into watches was being a watch aficionado and having an ego, like they're necessarily related. I'm not saying it's a bad thing that everyone has an ego is a bad thing. John has an ego, I have an ego, and you can be you know realistic about it or not. But liking to hear yourself talk or thinking that other people want to hear your ideas sort of comes with the territory, right? Yeah, I think so. I think, but uh, but I mean... As journalists, we were we were in the same we're in the same boat. We actually want we actually want to experience. We want to we want to talk to our we want to talk to the readership. We want to tell the story of I don't know this crazy watch we found or, or how silly that how silly the industry is because a lot of people don't actually know that stuff. What I don't what I'm not a huge fan of currently is the way a lot of these a lot of these watch um, all of these watch. YouTube things are basically just like the top five watches for 2021, which is basically just an SEO play, complete SEO play. So you're in this you're in this weird position where titles are awful. Yeah, and people they're doing exactly what they should be doing, but they're not they're not doing it at any service to the to the reader. There's no service to the reader. Well, they're uh, doing what you should be doing according to search engines and according social media and, and optimization. Absolutely, yeah. So it, I guess what we're saying is. John comes from this background of tech journalism, which was robust and had an industry around it to fund it. 
Now, 2021, there still is not a watch media industry. There are a few companies that are alive, but there isn't what you would call a watch media industry. It simply doesn't really exist. Well, you could argue that you could argue that the that the they're compromised, right? I mean, we could say that Hodinkee's compromised because of their because their investment and they're basically become a they basically become a store at this point. Well, that's I've, I've argued that for a long yeah. time. It's just, it's a store. It's so, not so media. They, they were never really media. They were just a store. And God bless Ben for for doing it. I mean, he's he's I guess he's making his money. Uh, or actually, really is making his money. But what does that get him? Does that get him the? Does it get him any satisfaction? I think I think the profitability over there is very very unclear. You don't beg for all that money if you have a bunch, and they've got a huge amount of mouths to feed as well as all kinds of people who have put money and and, and dipped in the past. Um, I, I I don't even though lo- you know large numbers are thrown around. That's very common. There's no auditing to actually make sure that any of that's real. Mm-hmm. I think if you look. You, you look sort of through the veil a little bit as to what the reality is. The people who are doing the best, the people who tend to be the richest, don't yell about it very much yep. and don't keep needing to ask others for favors all the time. So I think that they're a manifestation of the sort of like hype economy online that tries to get other people to sort of get in on the action, the sort of mm-hmm. fear of missing out. But I don't actually know it's indicative of actually healthy, healthy commerce. Oh, who knows? We'll see. We'll we'll see who wins. I mean, you're in the hotbed of that. I mean, you you're in the New York area. You know, you go to well, you used to go to Manhattan all the time. You yeah, live yeah. over in Brooklyn, and there is that mentality there where it's like talk sells, and you got a bunch of guys. Oh, this is the next big thing. Da da da. You got to invest. You got to get it now. Yeah, you know, at this yeah, point, blah, so blah, blah, blah. Like, that. that shit goes all day long. That's all that's talked about there. Nobody's actually doing very much. They're just you know moving money around and and, and you know financial instruments. Yeah, you could argue that. I think uh, I, I don't I don't think I don't think we're quite in that. I don't think the watch that the, I mean the watch the watch industry money that, that we're talking about, especially with the Hodinky uh, thing, that's not that much cash by any stretch of the imagination. So that that he got that he got investment at all is kind of a is a pretty good deal. Um, and it's well, the idea is you have to be a store these days. You're not going to yeah, exactly. get money unless you're selling stuff. Yeah, he's he he he's, he didn't he didn't he's not selling he didn't get investment for as a as a journalist. It's not a journalistic endeavor. It's a it's a e-commerce endeavor. And presumably you can create your little hodinky, I don't know, underwear and your shoes and your whatever line that you want to do and, and go nuts. And that'll be the end. That'll be the well, end. If of there's it. a market out there, great. But it still does not fill the void of watch media that that is still there. Doesn't doesn't fill the void of watch media. So it's and and, and, and we are, you know, right now the funny thing is the blog to watch team basically, you know, talks in conversation how it's basically just us. And you remember how years ago I used to lament the fact that I had to be like the moral compass of this industry. Like yep. people saw me as like the ethical actor, and that's not that's not who I ever wanted to be. Yep. And that's and that's it's it's but and it's not fair because to to be the ethical actor, you're the you're the guy who doesn't take you're the guy who doesn't take any cash. You're the guy who loses uh, loses opportunities. The martyr. The martyr. The martyr. And again, look, it's this is not to this is not to argue anybody's doing anything wrong because I mean if you want to make a if you want to make a a shopping store then make a shopping store uh, and and you should do it as well. Um but we the, have a store. Yeah, we but don't the, sell watches though. That's where we that's where we draw the line. Yeah, you know, but then but you should you should you should you should be uh you should be t- trying to suck the sweet teat of the uh, of the watch industry as much as you can, but they refuse to allow their their breasts to be exposed. Well, look, we we do obviously we do a lot of business with the watch industry, and you know, most of the brands out there we've done projects with for at one point in time, or or still do so. Um, but the reality is, yeah, they don't really invest enough. Um, and the funny thing is, when 
a lot of brands come to us with budgets, the numbers that they mention, while we appreciate, you know, anybody that wants to do business with us, it's usually like a tenth of what they should be spending. You know, if there's like an ongoing amount they should be spending for the right type of exposure and the right type of marketing, I'm not saying it'd be some astronomical number, but there'd be there'd be some number in there. And they usually suggest like one-fifth to one-tenth of that amount. And they're like, this is our maximum budget. And like, we cannot as human beings give you what you need for this. We'll give you something, yeah. but you need to recognize that you're not going to get the sort of like ongoing stable marketing performance you need just to keep selling watches each season without spending that over there. I mean, honestly, some brands, one brand, I'm not even kidding. This is, this is, this is an extreme side of it, but this is like a real brand that's been around for a while, not some startup. They said their entire budget for a year was $500 for a publication. And like, Ooh. it was hard not to laugh. Yeah. You and know, that, and that's, and, and I mean, I mean, so <laughs> again, and maybe, maybe there's no, maybe they don't need to sell. Maybe they don't need to advertise to sell. And that's, and that's, I guess that's Patek's, uh, Patek got lucky because of that. Uh, well, I, they do advertise. They just get lucky that pop culture does a lot of it for them. Yeah, exactly. But I don't think I don't think a lot of I don't think a lot of watch watchmakers are going to get that same treatment over the, over the next few years. Look, I mean, here's what I try to say to them: You can to sell. You need to be popular, and you can get popularity in two main ways. You can be popular by doing something really interesting or doing wild stuff that people want to pay attention to, or being the best at something. Um, you know, Richard Mille, for example, even though they spend you know a crap ton of money on marketing, they have watches on all these celebrities. They're like the most expensive in a lot of areas, and they uh -huh. have all these like wild designs. They play the the high school popularity game really, really well, even though they have rich, you know, like like you know, rich coffers. Uh -huh. But a lot of these brands, they're like they think that they'll just sort of get popular the easy way. They're like, oh, we don't want to spend money on advertising because you could just, if you're not if you're not a popular kid, but just super rich, you can you can be popular. Like yeah, yeah. McDonald's doesn't do anything remarkable. They just spend huge amounts of money to get in front of you all the time. McDonald's is super popular, not because they do anything great, but because their name is everywhere. They paid for that. So there's mm -hmm. two ways of being popular. And the watch brands need to just choose, the, choose which one. You can be boring and rich, or be like the crazy wild child who's constantly doing stunts and being a daredevil. And, and you still have to make messages, but you don't have to do as much because the virality of the internet will spread cool stuff for you. But you got to have cool stuff to begin with. Yes, and there's too, too, too little cool stuff out there is my take. Anyway. Yeah, but you, you got into this industry because of your affinity for cool stuff. Where's the cool stuff for you these days, John? Uh, I don't know if it's in the watch industry. I, I, I get it. I still get a kick out of it. I still enjoy it. If there's any cool stuff, I think it's, I think it's in actual science and actual, and actual, um, manufacturing and the way, and the way things are made, the way things are consumed, the way things are, the, the way we, we're moving. Wait a minute. Are you going to become a craftsman? Is that what we're going to do? Are you going to like, no, I don't want to become a craftsman by any stretch of the imagination. And in fact, I would argue that I would argue that the watch industry is pretty wasteful and it's kind of, kind of silly. Uh, is it? You should is, become a carpenter and make desks. I think I think that might be the answer. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking to see technology that helps that helps the universe, uh, that helps us survive as humans. And that was kind of like my Technotopia podcast uh, idea originally. And I don't know. I don't know what that that technology is right now. I think it's. I think it's coming. I think we're still. I think it's we're still. Kind of like with, with Bezos and Musk, where they have these yeah, sort of like bigger ideals for getting off world. But yeah, Bezos. Bezos wants to destroy every single store in the world, but he also really likes. Uh, he also likes spaceships. 
basically. The, who, which one of them wants us to do like off-world industrial stuff, like you know, doing all the manufacturing and polluting, like in the in the void of space? I think that's was that, was that Bezos. I think that's Elon Musk. He wants he wants okay. he wants everyone else who's not Elon Musk to go to space. Uh, right. So he can so he can live all on. the dirty things that we don't like lives in space, yeah. and then. Earth becomes like a giant natural park. Yep. It's not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. I mean, if you think about it, if you don't go that way in a few generations, like our kids as kids as kids will like not actually have like trees to go look at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And it's hundred percent. And I think, and I think that's, that's, that's why I'm, that's why I'm not into watches, quote unquote. I'm not into gadgets, quote unquote, because I'm, I'm into what gets us out of where we are right now. You had to evolve to this point, and you still like watches a lot. Like you were, you were like Mister Show Me New, Show Me Gadget. I mean, your your house used to be full of toys, both real and assumed. And now, is this like the stoist version of John? Have you be if you have you begun your casting off worldly worldly possessions? No, I mean, I still I still like that kind of stuff. I still have I still have a bunch of stuff in the house. I mean, it's just like I'm into I'm into like classic guitars now, right? So I'm buying I'm buying uh, nicer guitars so I can play so I can play music more. Um, oh, and it's and it's a lot of fun. But is it you doing some ballads? Doing some ballads. I'm playing. I'm singing. Okay. Uh, I'm singing the uh, the the tale of the tale of the Omega Speedmaster. Oh, um, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I want, I want, I need, I need something more out of the gadgets, basically. Now, watches are kind of interesting as gadgets, and they're they're very rarely talked about as gadgets amongst sort of the collector community for fear that that might downplay the you know the, the ability for them to be worth as much. But you know, the the best watches are essentially gadgets, and your wristwatch was in a lot of ways the original gadget. I mean, back when you know Breguet was making stuff around you know eighteen hundred, for example. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure there's all these little like items that people had on them, but very few of them were mechanical tools. And then all of a sudden, this super wealthy aristocrat could have this like little like box full of like gears and stuff that told them all this information that they could never guess. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's it was it was a that was one of the first gadgets. Obviously, that's the that's the whole that's the whole point of that stuff. And uh, and wh- why do we why do we like gadgets? What is our obsession with with tools? Is this just sort of a male thing? No, we have a humans have neophilia. They're excited by they're excited by new ideas. Uh, excited by new things. There's 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 a certain there's a certain type of human that's really into new things, and there's another type of person who's a little more conservative about it. And it depends on on what you fear, what your specific fear is. If our fear is stagnation, then we're into neophilia. If our fear is non-stagnation, then we're. Uh, or if our fear is change, then we're then we're more conservative. So you're really getting into the sort of core psychology of whether or not someone is is sort of like conservative or liberal in their inclination. To a degree, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't. It, you know, it does. It doesn't have to be particularly political, but it can if you want to. If you want to use it that way. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of political, which we won't get into, that brings up an interesting part of the conversation where a lot of our hour time shows were were voluntarily removed uh, by you. People ask me from time to time, they're like, I want to listen to the old shows. Where can I find them? And then you had to tell me a lot of them were taken down. And we had no, I mean, there was like, when it came to running that show, you know, it was basically this like, John makes a decision somewhere, Ariel makes a decision somewhere. There wasn't much of a, a, a thought behind what we did. Why explain why you took down a lot of our old episodes? I don't know. I just didn't want to be canceled, right? Uh, there were, there were, we we were making we were making fun of Swiss people. We were making fun of Seiko. 
so I was worried that somebody would be in like and find us like or find me making like stupid jokes and then we'd get we get yelled at. I delete I delete my social media regularly. I get get rid of it. There's no benefit to having it online. And I would what do you mean get rid of it? Like you just I, like I delete, delete old posts? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm off Facebook, right? I delete old posts. Every single old post. Every you single every single Twitter every single Twitter post goes away uh, within weeks, um, and it's just it's the only thing that makes sense at this point. Social media is is a cancer, and it's destroying our brains, and nobody wants to admit I it. I agree. I agree. I, look, I, I say this all the time. I think everyone wants to admit. It. I remember in 2000. What year was it? it was 2000 in um, when did Facebook start? Was it 2009? No, no, no. It was earlier than that. Or 2005, was it? Yeah, yeah it was 2005. So, okay, so 2000, I think it was 2009 or 10, I, I was asked to speak at this digital marketing conference in, in San Francisco. And the reason I was there is like, oh, here's a guy making a full-time living with a blog. You know, let's, let's hear about what that's like, what he's doing to make money. And I remember mentioning at the time, <clears throat> I said the statement, Facebook or what comes after it, mm-hmm. right? Because at the time you'd seen all these, platforms go away like MySpace and stuff like that. And it was very clear that all these things have a have a lifespan that go away and then something replaces it, which again, basically still happens. That was sort of before these companies got publicly traded and, and stubbornly didn't want to go away. But these companies that they exist today, they keep reinventing themselves, keep changing themselves. Mm-hmm. And so the idea then that Facebook was a temporary thing, like actually sent an audible uh, like murmur of shock in the audience. I could hear people like, oh, what? what? Like, you know, this thing that was, you know, in, in Silicon Valley, when there's a company that we call a unicorn today, I think that's the dumbest term in the world, yeah. but, you know, these big companies, there was this sense that they were almost like deity-like, that you really wanted to be a part of them, you wanted to go to their events, you would love to be hired by them, you'd love for them to buy your company. Like These were seen as like you know, godlike characters and, and revered and utterly revered. And to say that one of them might go away just because it had a natural expiration was almost heretical. Yeah. Uh, and and it's exactly, but it happens. It happens all the time. And Facebook right now, it's, you know, like what, what value does it serve? I'm not sure it served that much value back then. No, I mean, no, Facebook's, Facebook's just, I mean, it's just garbage. It's just a, it's just a dump. It's a refuse. It's a refuse thing where you put all your, where all you put all your free content that you want to monetize and you just try to make money off of people who are, who are bored. I think, I think the important thing to talk about that, and again, we as early, you know, like digital media professionals, I think what we say has a lot of salience because we're not just like dinosaurs, like, oh, new stuff sucks. We're, we're actually someone who's able to look at the larger picture of the internet and see what's really stayed. And I think the problem is, is that social media asks an enormous amount of the individual. Yep. You have to put time there. You have to put content there. You have to give it all away. You know, Facebook gets to make money on you and all you get is like likes in return. And the reality is that while likes gave people a little bit of a dopamine kick or whatever the hell it was, um, that shot of chemicals in your brain eventually lost its luster. And people were like, you know what? I'm putting too much into this. I want to get paid. I mean, Facebook's, you know, like claim was like, you know, oh, you know, it's like a, it's like a resume. It's like a portfolio, do great stuff. And uh, someone out there will pay for it. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's not ever what actually happened. Oh, yeah, it's a complete lie. You know, so social media became a very demanding job that didn't pay anyone anyone, you know, pretty much at all, unless you were basically an opinion. It paid a, it paid a certain, it paid a certain group of people and paid a certain number of people, uh, but it didn't pay everybody. A brief moment to talk about footwear and our sponsor eBay. 
Whether rare, dead stock, or the latest release, find the exact shoe you've been looking for. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the spot to find that pair you must have. Shoes are also now part of eBay's latest buyer protection program. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. A team of experienced sneaker authenticators verify the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity. And it also protects sellers with a verified return process. For sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers $100 plus, making it free to sell or flip your collection. Go to ebay.com sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. But it didn't, no, no, Instagram does not directly pay anyone as far yeah. as I know. They just make you popular yeah, yeah. so that well, you, yeah. so, so, so you can make, you. yes, you can make your money or whatever based on, yeah, Instagram, I, I would agree. Yes, that's true. I mean, I remember, you know, YouTube especially, and again, it, it's in a sense, it feels weird because we benefit from these platforms. All these social media platforms have a blog to watch audience members. We, we make content, you know, for Instagram and YouTube and stuff like that. Like we do, re, we do need these platforms, but again, I think it's more like, we need a place to host videos. We need a place for this. I don't know if it's the platforms themselves that we're loyal to. And I think that everyone who's a user of these platforms has you know, positive and negatives to say. But YouTube especially was weird. Because I remember a while ago when you become sort of like a more popular YouTuber, they give you suggestions on how to like make money. And they use this term they called brand deals. They're like, go out and get brand deals. Like, what does that mean? YouTube itself was essentially advising you, if you really want to make money, you have to go out there and make a deal with a brand, i.e. get an advertisement of some type, put it in your video as long as it didn't violate a couple of these very basic things. And YouTube yeah. was mostly concerned about you not competing with their own ad system by having like, you know, like, like little commercials in your videos. So they were basically telling people, they were training people, go out and be an opinion mercenary. And I was, I was shocked when I first saw that. I mean, I was kind of shocked. Is that shocking? Uh, well, I mean, so here's, here's the other issue. You're, you're in like, what, you, you said something very important, as long as it doesn't compete with their own efforts. So you can make as much money as you want. As long as you don't touch uh, the uh, the money that the money that YouTube wants to make on you, and they'll monetize the heck out of you, and they'll give you a percentage of that monetization. But if you do your own like ads and you run, so imagine imagine what would happen. And I I think this is a this is an interesting um, thought. This is like a thought a thought piece. Like, what would happen if like the top YouTubers in the world basically sold their own ads in their in their little shows? What would happen? And I think that would be I think it would actually be kind of funny. Because YouTube would be like, well, you can't do that, and and I don't know. I think I believe they have like whatever, like like I don't know, timeouts or whatever, where they say, oh, this this thing is sponsored by X Y Z, but I want to I want like a I want them to dump a full like thirty second ad in the in the middle of a in the middle of a video, just like they just like they and that's, force and that's you. against YouTube's like they will ban your account. They will for ban that, your actually. account. So so to to do for yourself in that in that very specific way. Is uh is an is anathema to them, and that's uh, and that's really I, I think that's cruel, and I think that's kind of ridiculous, because if I want to if I want to sell my if I want to sell my my views to, I don't know, first off you're selling your views to what you're selling your views to let's say like a watch company, or you're selling your views to I don't know you could be even a porn company, it doesn't even matter. But you're, but that's that's the stuff you're associating with your brand, your personal brand. There's no there should be no connection to the YouTube brand. 
Yeah, I mean, look, I think you're getting into, you know, a lot of interesting areas here that anyone that like likes watches is aware of. It's not exactly a watch conversation, but we're people that made watch media very, very early on. A lot of it got very, very popular. And I think the interesting thing about thinking about like, you know, a, a podcast like Our Time was that no one from the watch industry ever gave us any formal feedback on it. Like individually, I'd have people say, oh, that's really funny. I'd love to listen to you guys. But, you know, it's, you know, watch, watch media does celebrate when they're in certain publications. Like, oh, we're in so-and-so public, you know, like magazines, top 10 watches or some award or something like that. They'll send a freaking press release out about that. But, you know, there's so much type of media that they just like, like to choose to ignore. And it's, it's always been very interesting for us because we chuckle at it and we always had a good sense of humor because we're like, guys, we're helping you sell a crap load of watches. Even, you know, so we always had that in the back of our, our minds, which well, was true. You never, you never had a buy button. You never had a buy button that would basically say, here, here's your, your, your watches, your watches going out the door now. That's the trick. You gotta have, you need a buy button. Look, I mean, if that's, I look nowadays, I know that I understand their psychology far, far better than I did then. I just, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking to myself, what decisions would I have made differently in, you know, 2009, if I knew then what I know now. And it's, it's just interesting to think about it. You know, we're sort of taking this trip down memory lane. Um, and it's going back to why we took episodes off. I mean, we were basically, cause we were engaging in humor. We did some, we, we had a funny conversation about a luxury topic. And especially at the time, that was super weird to a lot of people in the European luxury industry. Yep. Cause we weren't, we weren't being, we weren't being completely nice. We were just, we were having fun. And I think that's, I think that's important. I don't think, I don't think this industry has a lot of fun. I think this industry is too serious about itself. I think it's, uh, I think the the fancy pictures and all this other like the thousand five thousand dollar travel clocks that these guys are trying to sell to each other. I'm in like this. Uh, I'm in this room where I chat with uh, where I chat with a bunch of watch guys, and they love watches all day long. But there's not really a there's not really a appreciation for the history. There's not really appreciation. They're, they're they they just they want to get their their op or their uh, PP or whatever they want, and uh, and they'll fight for it. And they and they 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 fall for Hodinkee's stuff, hook, line, and sinker. They love it. They they buy it. They they pick it up and they uh, and they enjoy it. Because these are people that actually they, they're from the sort of like the stock pick generation. They're like, I'll buy the stocks people pick. I don't want tell people telling me what to get. I don't want people telling me how to express myself. For me, it's the discovery of a story that's relevant to me and discovering it and then wearing it, which has the value. And so I just think it goes to like two very different reasons why you might be into watches to begin with. Yeah. You know, and going back to this sort of notion of the industry not having fun, it's sort of amusing because it is the celebration industry. People who wear luxury objects are supposed to wear them while having fun. You know what I mean? Or they celebrate wear your nice watch right? for the party. You you buy you buy yourself a nice watch because you did something good in your in your career in your life or whatever. But it just doesn't. It doesn't. Here's my theory. Here's my theory. My theory is that they're so serious because it's an expression of the insecurity they have related to their value proposition. A lot of these companies charge way more money than they need to for these products. Not all of them. But the margins and watches are very, very high. And I think it's sort of like if we act serious and pretend like this is a really, really serious thing, it helps convince, like it's a confidence creating thing, right? It helps the, the buyer feel, okay, you know, this is worth it. These people, like this is a very serious, like you go to a bank, for example, yeah. you go to a hospital. 
hospitals very serious place. Someone's joking about the prices there, right? Even though hospitals are like one of the biggest culprits of overcharging. I, I think it's part of the sort of like, you know, buyer psychology part of it. I think so. I think that's I think that's about true. You know, I mean, like you go to a car dealership, they laugh a lot more. Like it's a lot less serious to the car dealership. Why? Because what the margins are much smaller. The actual dealership makes like not that much money. Imagine if a car dealership, you know, you're buying a $50,000 car and they made $25,000. They would be like, I want to do everything possible to not screw the sale up and make it seem that this car is worth $50,000 and no, and no less. But in watches, the $50,000 watch often has a potential of a $50,000, sorry, $25,000 margin. So imagine what that does to the salesperson's mind. That's a, that's a massive difference. Yeah, I mean, I look, I look at the, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at Hodinkee right now, for example, and I, I didn't realize he had so many watches on there. This is like a whole different story now. It's a store. It's, yeah. it's there's not. It's, it's officially a store. There's nothing else in that, and and the content is a catalog to the store. But but you look at the you look at the 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 watches, and they're all like ten thousand dollars, like Zenas for ten thousand or whatever, and that and again nobody nobody admits this in the industry. But if I'm paying two thousand dollars for a watch, it's actually worth most likely five hundred dollars max, uh, like a seventeen seventeen thousand for a Bulgari Octo. Benissimo, I like the I like the Octo, I like the Bulgari stuff, but seventeen thousand is just crazy. But well, look, there's I, I have no problem with the company making a profit, right? Yeah. Companies need to pay for their employees, the product design, manufacturing, and you know, marketing. Like everybody's entitled to a margin, but the the problem in the watch industry is like you take one watch is twenty thousand dollars, and another one's twenty thousand dollars the actual production cost of those watches can radically change and it they're not the same like some watches are genuinely worth 20,000 bucks you're getting a good deal on others you're paying a lot for branding essentially and that's and that's uh, that's that's my biggest problem with a lot of this stuff you are paying you are paying a lot for branding but why why do you have a problem with that because you want the brands to exist again maybe i'm playing the other side a little bit but you want you want them to have strong branding, right? The people like me that will be happy to buy a cool watch from a brand that has like literally no brand, we're, we're, we're a small group of people. I need to know a lot of information to be confident that way. Most people, they want that Rolex branding. They want it to be this institution. They want everyone to know it. They want it to be popular. You know, yet they complain about spending for it. How, how do you sort of draw the line between this company, you know, deserves this amount of money to keep their brand alive versus you know, this is an unethical, you know, l- l- margin. I don't know. I think, I think the, I think the answer is, is if you're, if you're in a, uh, if your watch is unusual enough that it's, that it's the equivalent of like manufacturing a Ferrari, uh, out of just like, I don't know, scrap, um, scrap metal in your backyard, that that's worth, that's worth the price. And it's also kind of worth the branding. If you tell that story, uh, like resins, for example, that's a that's a really unusual watch. Nobody else really does what they do, and they're and they kind of deserve they kind of deserve some of the um, some of the attention that they get. They're crazy expensive, but they're really unique. And then and F. P. Jorn and a couple of other guys. But then you're but then you're in a position where you're where you're looking at some of the other stuff that's out there, and it is it is kind of cheese ball. It is kind of uh, it's 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 commodity parts that are re, that are re, redesigned, re, replaced into different places, or into different cases and different movements and things. And it just doesn't it doesn't happen. Nothing uh, nothing nothing is improved by giving it a five thousand dollar price tag. 
I'll, I'll end this topic by saying I've concluded the best thing to look at when trying to evaluate price point is the number of watches a company makes per year. They don't always say this information, but you can sort of figure out, you know, if there's somebody that makes a ton of watches or not that many watches. The more watches a company makes, the less they're entitled to a high margin per watch. The less watches they make, the more forgiving you necessarily have to be about the margins that they have, right? So if a company that makes 500 watches a year, they need to make more money per sale. Now, you are, as a consumer, in exchange, are given exclusivity. You know that there's only so much of these watches out there. That's real rarity, and that's, in a sense, worth paying for. And they have to you know, pay for their employees and pay for their stuff with a smaller volume. But a company that makes like 50,000, 100,000, a million watches a year, yep. well, then you have to ask yourself, like, how much margin could you make? I mean, like Casio, if Casio made like, you know, 10,000 watches a year, their watches would cost like, you know, 40,000 bucks a piece. But Casio makes an awful lot of product and has this enormous economy of scale that it allows it to make probably like the best $100 watch around, right? And and that's, I think, the way to look at it. Yes, exactly. I mean, I, I, like I would, I, there there are so many watch companies out there that that charge a lot for something that's not rare, quote unquote. And I would like to see the 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 thing the thing that that interests me most in watches, the thing that interests me is, is story, is provenance, is the human connection that these watches have, and 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 to a degree you get that, uh, but there's also the fact that. There's millions of people who wear these things every day, and the watch brands don't actually tell those stories. They don't actually access those stories, and that's because they want the they they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna sell on the biggest story, which is which is I don't know the the watch on the moon, and they can't they can't integrate themselves with other people. They can't integrate themselves with the average person, I guess. Well, these days they're figuring it out, and what I'm what I've been saying to them is that. The key to online marketing is storytelling. You need to tell the story of your brand. You need to tell the story of the products. Each and each and every product has to have its own story. You know, uh, the products you don't talk about probably won't sell, probably won't be very popular. And that is going to be the name of the game for you. So we'll see over the next five years if, if they'll figure it out. Going back to some of our old conversations from years ago, we laughed about a lot of things. What comes to mind as some of the funnier topics that you remember? Uh, well, we had the, we had, we were thinking about Cholex. That was a fun, that was a fun idea. <laughs> we were going to make the Cholex watch, which would be, uh, which would be, <laughs> which would be Rolex, but for Cholos, I guess. I don't know. Well, okay. So the, the, the irony was there's all these fake Rolexes out there and all these companies that wanted to look like Rolex either explicitly, or they wanted to have similar branding and things like that. And so the joke was like, we will just come up with a watch called Cholex and it won't be a copy of a Rolex, but it'll just... It, it will amusingly incorporate all those things that wannabe watches wannabe watches are. We just sort of joked about it, but then people kept saying all the time, "When am I going to get a Trolex?" <laughs> so we should have made like the Trolex. We actually created a market, and I, I never figured out what would the Trolex even look like. Would it be just really gaudy? I wanted it to be very gaudy. I almost I almost want like a watch that's completely with brand unbranded, with almost like nothing on it, with just like completely flat and 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 with like a like a. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I want it. No dial, no, no hands, no, no, no dial, dial, no hands. Just cover my wrist. Just, just, I just want a little piece of metal on my wrist. Just a, just a coin. Just a handcuff, just a handcuff just on a my wrist. Yeah, that's actually funny. No one's made a watch that looks like a single handcuff. Call it the, uh, call it the, the they call it the. I'll never let you go. There you go. Cartier will make it. Make it out of solid gold. Yeah. Actually, why don't they do that? They have solid gold nails that go around your wrist. They have solid gold. Um, 
What's the one that's literally like the, the one that's screwed in? You can't take off that very popular one. Uh, the whatever the Forever Band or whatever I don't know what the hell it's called. Yeah, they should have the Cartier handcuff. You know what I mean? It'll have like a little jingling part of the chain, like you know where someone snapped the handcuff. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> all all in full eighteen karat gold or white gold, mm-hmm. rose gold, yellow gold, platinum, with or without diamonds, the handcuff, and then your lover has the key. Oh, that sounds nice. Well, right? Why don't we just why don't they just do the Cartier cod piece? That'd be that'd be even superior. <laughs> well, look, they could have multiple products, right? Yeah, you could do. Yeah, you could do the you could do the handcuff. People love attention the, on their junk. I think the cod piece needs to come back. The cod, like a like a bigger one, like just kind of like a like one of those knight knight and shining armor cod pieces. I was thinking more like an athletic cup worn outside. Hmm. It's like so, you uh, want to have so, like a really whole big so there. orange style. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I, I, why this is funny is like it sort of talks about the quaintness of watches. Like they're sort of useful, but like not really, but they're really about get, getting attention. So we used to joke about like, what are other things like that? I, actually, in all practicality, you know what I thought was another area that could have something like a watch was that like an analog compass. Like, why can't you make a luxury analog compass? I bet guys would carry that around. No, they don't care. They don't care about compasses. Compi. Uh, why? They, they, they need, uh, they need, they need like, like lighters, <laughs> Campari. They need lighters. They need. Uh, I think knives are a big thing now. Like collectible knives. Uh, there's. Do you have a knife on you now? I started carrying like a folding knife on me now. I have a few. I don't. I don't I'm not carrying one now because I never leave the house. So, um, but I got. I got a couple. I got a couple that I. Really I do because like. I used to go hiking a lot when they were technically closed, and I feared that there would be some crazed person and I'd have to defend myself. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I could see you're defending yourself with your little. Uh, with your little folding. Your folding buck knife. It's better than nothing. Yeah, I guess you're right. We just get a get a we just get a uh, a magnum. That 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 should be that should be the next product for Cartier, the Cartier AR15. They probably have that stuff. Imagine, I mean, if you you've seen a lot of those like gold plated or solid gold guns and yep. stuff like that, and how you know Chopard would make like watches with you know dictators' faces on them in the past. Like you know that there's all these un unannounced like dangerous luxury products out there. Like they've got to exist all over the place because there's a lot of gun guys and knife guys in the watch space. And I, I mean, it, it's just, it's just got to exist. I don't know. I don't even know if you could shoot a gold gun, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure you could. Yeah, no, I'm sure you could. Really it, would, it would be a, it would kind of blow out like a little balloon. That'd be pretty fun. I'm remembering that one of the funnier stories I had, we used to make fun of watches a lot, right? So either you or me would discover a really funny watch or a brand and there was the um, was the other one Bel Toro. Bel Toro, and then we had the we had uh, St- Sylvester Stallone's favorite watches. The um, which ones were those? Well, it was like a lot of skulls and stuff all over them. Oh, the ones that were done maybe like maybe, for was the, the Monte Grappa one. Yeah, Monte Grappa. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I like that Monte Grappa Monte one. The Bel-, Bel Toro one was like just some random brand we found with this like hideous crazy watch that's just like they couldn't i think you can still buy them brand new online right now really? I should go but we just we like made fun of like who like we didn't know who these watches came from so we'd make fun of like who we imagined like created the brand and who was buying the brand <laughs> because that was the funny thing like look if you want to like okay cars are popular computers and stuff are popular but like you can't just be some random schmuck and make your own car. Like the cost of entry to make your own car is like exorbitantly high. Yeah. But with watches, I'm not saying it's like something everyone can afford, but if you have like 30,000 bucks, you can start a watch brand. You can't do that with cars. You can't make your own computer. Like, you know what I mean? Like 
there, the threshold to getting into watches is pretty low. And what that's allowed for over the years is an enormous amount of hilarious things. And yeah. well, what was the uh, the vein the veiny halter the, uh, the 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 black belt watch that you could only uh, that you could only oh wear? that was no, that was the Yvonne Arpa one. Oh yeah, Yvonne Arpa, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he had a little watch called Black Belt, and yeah, there was some funny thing where it's like you had to be an accomplished black belt to get one. But look, it was a fun idea. Like if you actually saw someone out there new with this watches, you're like, did you just get one for free because they couldn't sell them, or are you actually a black belt? Sounds like sounds like it might be. Yeah, I mean, you were you were a black belt at that point too, right? Me? No. Yeah, yeah. you were always a black belt. You were you're you're punching punching bags and everything. And I can only imagine. Trust me, I have a black belt. That's a particular karate thing for an achievement. That's hard to get. Hard to get. All right, all right. I'll buy it. All right, we have. I think we have to return to that. We'll have to figure out what we want to do on another show because we have years. I've lost, um, I don't know, things to talk about. Okay, last thing, and this is how I want to end the show. You offered a lot of wisdom as sort of like a mature internet content, you know, professional and a journalist and things like that. As someone who's been into watches for a long time, you, you've obviously made some statements, but give some sort of like words of wisdom to people who are getting into watches now, maybe not into watches, but curious. And that's one of the things that was superlative we've been trying to reach are people that like aren't necessarily into watches, but see that there's a lot of enthusiasm around it and want to figure out like what's up with that. Offer some wisdom. I think the I think the thing to to think about is find 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 your goal watch, like the the dream watch that you that you love and kind of work your way up there. Uh, you can buy and sell if you want. You can keep as much as you want. Uh, and and there's no shame in trying out new brands. You just have to be careful, and you should also look for in-depth, detailed reviews of these these micro brand watches, which are probably um, almost impossible to find. But 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 and immerse yourself in the uh, in the experience of it, because the important thing about these watches is that they they mean something. They will mean something to to people that you pass them on to. They they're going to mean something to future future generations. They're they're a unique object that that humans have produced and it's fairly rare to to see something like that in the wild anymore uh it used to be that your whole house was full of bespoke custom objects made by a human being who who put a lot of love into the into the effort and now it's ikea and uh and it's really hard to get to to live in live in that world now and the the easiest way to to go back to that world to experience that world is to kind of look at a watch so what I'm hearing is treat watches like a hobby and invest the time. Invest the time and invest a little bit of money. I mean, you're not if 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 you want a speedmaster, figure out how to buy a speedmaster. That's the end of the story. You're not you're not gonna you're not gonna make yourself happy by buying things that are like a speedmaster. Um, and and if you don't know what you want, it's there's no there's no shame in experimenting. Yep. And right now, obviously, you are the guy basically in charge of Gizmodo. Where else can people see your content? Uh, I have all my books are on John Biggs books. You can take a look there and, uh, and just buy his books, buy my books. That's all I ask. Just buy his books. You've written a lot of books. We'll have to talk about it another time. Anyways, yep. John Biggs, he's been our guest. Thank you so much. Thank you to everyone listening to Superlative. We'll talk to you later. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Superlative podcast. Support the show by subscribing and rating it on your preferred podcast platform. For questions, comments, and ideas, please email the show at superlative at ablogtowatch.com. For the latest in watch news, reviews, and culture, visit ablogtowatch.com.
Thank you for listening to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe? <laughs>